The challenge for environment is a little bit harder because a lot of the One Health approaches to date have focused on animal and human dimensions and have not focused on environmental dimensions. In my own experience, I've been in a lot of conversation where there's a recognition that the environment dimensions have been underdeveloped or in some cases ignored and that they are important. But sometimes those conversations become simply a dialogue about, here is a list of things that we have said are important for human and animal health. Can you just add on the environment part? That is not gonna work. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health from the Sustainable Development Goals to the Social Determinants of Health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily represent any of the agencies or organizations we work for or are affiliated with. In today's episode, we'll delve deeper into the concept of One Health based on an event we had in late 2021 at Public Health Insight. Our guest today discusses the staggering impact of nature on human well-being from providing jobs and income to contributing to global GDP. However, the stark reality is that unsustainable economic activities are driving nature loss at an alarming rate, leading to what is termed the triple planetary crisis of biodiversity loss, climate change, and pollution. Our guest is none other than Doreen Robinson, a conservation ecologist with over 25 years of experience linking environment and sustainable development. She is the head of Biodiversity and Land Management at the UN Environment Program, UNEP, where she leads their One Health work and is a focal point for nature-centered pandemic recovery. As we explore the intricate web of connections between human, animal, and planetary well-being, our guest emphasizes the urgency of adopting a true One Health approach. But how do we practically apply this approach? Let's learn more. Thank you so much. I actually started my life thinking I was going to be a wildlife veterinarian, but then I changed and moved into conservation ecology. And the combination of being a conservation ecologist and then spending most of my career as an environmentalist working in a human development context with more human-focused agencies, those two factors together have really combined to lead me down a path where I, I really believe that interdisciplinarity and systems thinking are essential to solving the world's problems today. So I'm going to talk a little about One Health. Healthy people can't thrive on a sick planet. That's the reality. And we are currently living on a sick planet. Nature provides jobs and income, and the environment makes an enormous contribution to human health and well being. Our lives, our future, I think Sharon said this, our very lives depend on it. Over 55% of the global uh, GDP is attributable to nature in some way. That's at least $44 trillion. It's dependent on nature and its services. 60,000 species are used for medicine, nutritional, and aromatic purposes. And more than 500,000 tons of these materials from those species are traded every year. 
56 million people are directly employed in nature-based uh, endeavors such as fisheries and aquaculture, and 880 million people are dependent on those sectors, fisheries and aquaculture, for their very livelihoods. Globally, 35% of crops depend on pollinators, and one-third of the human diet comes from insect-pollinated species. But unsustainable economic activity is driving nature loss faster than ever before. The triple planetary crises, that's what we talk about at UNEP, of uh, biodiversity loss, climate change, and pollution are diminishing healthful benefits of nature. And they're increasing risks to human well-being and driving potential public health concerns. Nine out of 10 people worldwide breathe polluted air. It causes 7 million premature deaths annually. Two-thirds of our freshwater resources are under stress, and half a million people die each year from diarrheal diseases from con contaminated water. A football pitch of tropical forests is destroyed every 1.5 seconds, and a million species uh, of plants or animals are at risk of extinction. So human, animal, and planetary well-being are inextricably linked. We simply cannot achieve one without the other. And this is the core premise behind UNEP's approach to One Health. So to achieve a holistic view of health, what do we need to do? So first, I kind of hinted at this. First, we need a systemic approach. One Health is more than the sum of the separate domains of human, animal, and environmental health. A true One Health approach focuses on the interrelationships and the interdependencies of these different domains of health. Let's take zoonoses, for example. And the UNEP's report on zoonotic disease, we identified seven anthropogenic drivers of the increasing emergence of zoonotic disease. Those drivers are increasing human demand for animal protein, we heard about that, unsustainable agricultural intensification, increased use and exploitation and overconsumption of wildlife, unsustainable util utilization of natural resources, accelerated by urbanization, land use change and extractive industries, increased travel and transport, changes in food supply and demand, and of course, climate change. These analyses tell us that we need doctors, veterinarians, farmers, wildlife managers, agribusiness, and many other people around the table if we're going to solve the problem. One of the challenges I've seen as we've engaged in the One Health approach is that it doesn't work if each sector goes about doing its own thing and then assumes it's all gonna add up. That's not a One Health approach. The challenge for environment is a little bit harder because a lot of the One Health approaches to date have focused on animal and human dimensions and have not focused on environmental dimensions. In my own experience, I've been in a lot of conversation where there's a recognition that the environment dimensions have been underdeveloped or in some cases ignored and that they are important. But sometimes those conversations become simply a dialogue about here is a list of things that we have said are important for human and animal health. Can you just add on the environment part? That is not going to work. We have to reframe the problems. We have to understand the system with a truly holistic approach. And that can be a real hard pill to swallow in the context of a lingering pandemic where, where we're hearing in the media, the next pandemic is potentially around the corner. But without that rethinking and reconnecting the dots between humanity's relationship with nature, we will not get to a true One Health approach. And we will forever be chasing the next illness or disease. So to apply an approach, what do we need to do? We need more multi-sectoral collaboration, particularly on assessing risks and hazards for health, all those dimensions of health. 
We need to break down cultural, institutional, and technical barriers for cooperation and provide real incentives for doing this. And those incentives have to be financial, reputational, and policy-driven. And of course, a starting point for cooperation is always communication. We need a common language to work with. You would be surprised what happens when veterinarians, ecologists, and medical doctors get in the room. The second thing we need to do is have evidence-based policy responses grounded in science. We need a stronger evidence base for the complex risk profiles and the ability to assess costs, benefits, acceptability, and scalability of our solutions. I'll give the example of wildlife trade. Globally, we know that wildlife trade is a source of livelihoods, income, and food security for millions of people. And in turn, those benefits provide positive incentives to support species and ecosystem protection and conservation. At the same time, we also know that overexploitation of species, poorly regulated trade, and of course, illegal trade drives biodiversity loss and can increase the risks from zoonotic diseases. In 2018, the total global value of biodiversity-based exports, that's both animals and plants and their products, was 864 billion US dollars. Canada, for example, accounted for just over 41 billion of that. That's a huge legal trade. And that's only the export trade. The value of domestic trade, in some cases, incredibly large. But numbers don't tell the whole story. We need to know what the numbers mean in terms of jobs, the benefits that flow to local communities, the incentives and disincentives that might be created, but to keep an area in a wild or conservation state versus some other alternative land use. And of course, the skills and capacities to effectively and sustainably manage that trade all need careful consideration. Some contend that stopping the wildlife trade is the solution to pandemic risk, but I can tell you it's not. Pandemic risk is complex. And while better regulation, monitoring, and in some cases, temporary restrictions may be helpful, it won't solve the problem alone. More so, we need to look at the implications of wildlife trade, not just on disease risk, but also on incentives for conservation and economic development to be sure that our policy options don't have unintended consequences. We know that sweeping bans on trade in West Africa during a past Ebola outbreak were not only ineffective, but they drove the trade underground, which increased the risk for humans, animals, and environment. So One Health, which is of course much bigger than addressing the risks of diseases with pandemic potential, has the world's attention. And now it's the time to realize its full potential. As I speak now, the UN's first food system summit is going on right now. One Health is being discussed in the context of nature-positive, safe, and equitable food production. They're discussing antimicrobial resistance that we just heard so much about, which we know is killing 700,000 people a year, but it's also polluting water and soil that we needed to grow the food to meet food security needs for a growing human population. The global biodiversity framework that will set the new goals and targets for halting biodiversity loss for the decade to come, and that it um, specifically mentions human health and animal health in the framework. And it includes a draft global plan of action for biodiversity and health. Under the UN, uh, UNFCCC, the Climate Treaty, nature-based solutions or ecosystem-based adaptations are being considered as the way forward in national plans to address climate change and to halt climate change. And we know that climate change will affect human and animal health in so many different ways. And then, and these same nature positive solutions are being discussed at the country level as part of pandemic and economic recovery. 
So the need for transformative change has never been greater. We can build back better, greener, and more equitably as we recover. The good news is that humans, while we're wonderful at creating problems, we also have it in our means to solve these problems. If we look to science and evidence and work across sectors to tackle the root causes, One Health approaches are essential to doing just that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.